I will tell you that there are still places that you can go and feel the old Florida, and those are places that have been preserved as state parks or private preserves or national forests. You know, when I am really feeling blue and getting depressed about issues, I turn off the television and I go kayaking or I go hiking because there are still beautiful areas to go to, and that kind of restores my soul and my energy levels. Welcome to Form Beyond the Pages, the podcast that tells the stories behind the stories of Florida Humanities award-winning magazine. I'm Andrew Quintana. In our inaugural season of this new podcast, we'll be speaking to the writers who penned the articles in our fall 2023 environmental issue of Forum, This Land We Love. In this episode, I sit down with journalist, professor, and environmentalist Leslie Poole to discuss her feature story, To Preserve and Protect. The article is a sort of listicle that dives into the biggest environmental challenges the Sunshine State faces, with solutions local governments and individuals can take into consideration. By no means is the story meant to be a comprehensive piece on these topics. Leslie would be the first to tell you there aren't enough pages in the magazine to write such a story. But it is a snapshot of the crossroads Florida is currently facing. Leslie Poole is an associate professor of environmental studies at Rollins College in Winter Park. She's a fourth-generation Floridian who focuses her research on how grassroots activists, specifically women, have fought to save the state's natural beauty and resources. Leslie was kind enough to invite us into her home where this conversation took place. I know you teach at Rollins College, but um, is there a reason why you chose Winter Park to be your home? Was it the school that brought you here? Or was there something about Winter Park? No, it was very, it was very deliberate. Uh, I grew up in Tampa and was working at the Orlando Sentinel uh, when my husband and I got married. And we just loved the lifestyle of Winter Park. Small town, kids could ride their bikes into town, kind of like a Mayberry. And we deliberately chose this to be our home. So we've been here 38 years now. You're from Tampa, but I think it's important to kind of point out that you're a fourth generation Floridian, which is kind of rare. You don't really get many generations after that. <laughs> My family grew oranges in Gainesville, so that should give you an idea how long ago that was. I was going to say, can you kind of explain your family history? Do you have an understanding of what your family's, like, what all four generations were doing here in Florida? Yeah, I think the original group, um, well, they, were, they came from different directions, but actually one branch came straight from Scotland after the Civil War and settled in Micanopy, and they were growing oranges, not far from where Marjorie Rawlings lived in Cross Creek. And then I think the big freezes in the late 1800s pushed them out, and then my family ended up selling feed and grain in Tampa, and then in the mechanic business, and, you know, we just ended up in Tampa. But I used to hear the stories all the time of my families seeing how Florida had changed. Um, my grandfather used to talk about walking out into Tampa Bay and just picking up oysters and eating them raw straight out of the bay, which now would be, you know, a potential death sentence from hepatitis. But it, so I understood even as a child how much things had changed then. And now, you know, I'm watching them continue to change. Can you kind of give me your earliest memories of the environment here in Florida? My family owned a lake place north of Tampa up in Pasco County, and it was spring-fed, and it was a beautiful lake, and that was our retreat. And it would take a long, you know, it took a long, it seemed like a long drive into the country to get there from South Tampa. And over the years, things started to happen even in the lake. I could see the hydrilla started coming into the lake. 
Um, the city of St. Petersburg put in wells and started pumping water out of the underground aquifer. And the traffic and the development just kind of spread its way out there. And the last time I saw the lake, it kind of broke my heart and I decided I was not going to go out there again because all of it had changed so dramatically. I mean, we used to drive by dairy farms that are now subdivisions in New Tampa, <laughs> and we'd hold our noses because of the smell, and now all of that has just dramatically changed. So I know everybody has probably a story of their own within five years of moving to Florida. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of a common theme when it comes to Florida's history, people growing up in Florida. I mean, it's kind of what's at the core of what you wrote for this uh, this issue of Forum. At its core, it's really kind of about the changing face of Florida as it is right now. When you were growing up and you saw that change, you know, before your eyes and you understood as a child, was that kind of the spark to, to kind of wanting to pursue a career in the environment? Was that even a, a, on your mind at that time? I don't think I was really conscious of it until my 30s. I was originally a newspaper reporter, and I covered a lot of crime and government, and I did cover the citrus industry for a while. Um, but it was in my 30s that I think I started really recognizing problems that were happening, and I had the opportunity to do some environmental writing for the Orlando Sentinel, and that set me on a whole new path. So that when um, I very late in life decided to pursue my graduate studies, uh, the environment became the central focus of that. At the time when you first started writing about the environment, what, what were the topics really about? Was it kind of what we see today? You know, the one story that really rocked my world um, was when the Orlando Sentinel gave me a credit card and sent me on the road for two weeks. I was to drive the perimeter of the state of Florida, and I was supposed to be looking at silly, um, what would you say, old touristy spots. But pretty quickly, I started recognizing instead that the story really wasn't these old tourism areas that were falling apart. It was the coast that was being developed. It was incredible sand dunes in the, in the Destin area that were being turned into condominiums. Um, I drove the whole coastline of Florida all the way through Miami. I interviewed um, uh, the woman in Miami Beach who was in charge of the historic preservation who was fighting at the time to save those old hotels. And I remember standing on Miami Beach in January and there wasn't a soul on the beach because the area just wasn't, it was considered all decrepit and nasty. And I was thinking, there's some beautiful places in Florida that we don't appreciate. And there's some beautiful places in Florida that are disappearing rapidly. And I got to learn um, from scientists about different species that were endangered. And I mean, it really was a rapid education. And uh, ultimately, we did some special sections at the Sentinel and suggested that the state needed a serious growth management uh, regulation. The state of Florida passed a growth management act that we thought was going to be the answer, was going to help control growth, to preserve natural areas around the state. I remember standing in the Capitol Rotunda, and we were all cheering. We were so excited that it had passed. And within a few years, it became really clear that if local governments weren't going to enforce it, then it really wasn't going to have an impact. And now, of course, we're in Florida, and all those laws have pretty much been gutted, and all those bureaucracies. Not to be 
negative, but I mean, disappointed kind of seems like the largest part of this story that you wrote. I mean, there it's the titles to preserve and protect the five greatest threats to Florida's natural environment and how to overcome them. So there are solutions, but you break down the story into about, like you said, five great threats that the state is facing, but really they're not just one threat. I mean, it's several issues, you know, within that threat. I mean, climate change is a very broad topic, but here in Florida, you say, you know, it's sea level rise, it's utilities, it's infrastructure. I mean, it, the list goes on and on and on and on and on. As someone who's written about, you know, Florida's environment, how it's changed, the winds, the losses and everything, does it kind of depress you when you're able to write nine paragraphs about issues and only really be able to dedicate about a couple paragraphs to solutions that you were able to discover. Well, a good journalist stays within their word count, but um, yes, I could have written pages and pages and pages on each of these topics. Um, but, you know, what we wanted to do is give people a sense of what the issues are and also to not make it completely hopeless. You know, the very definition of an environmentalist is that you're an optimist because you think things can change. And I remain that. Um, and I believe that in our hearts, everyone loves natural Florida. That's why we are here. That's, you know, what drives tourism here and, and drives people moving here is our natural beauty. And I think that if you help people understand ways that they can get a involved and make a difference, then I think we do have an opportunity to save a lot of, of what's here. As you said earlier, being an environmentalist is kind of being an optimist. And I think one of the ways you talk about that optimism is kind of early on in the story when you mentioned, you quote a New York Times uh, newsletter, I believe, where you say this is kind of like the opportunity of a lifetime. I think it's the exact quote with the way headlines are kind of talking about all the issues going on in the world. And why would this be the perfect time? Well, we could be approaching the tipping point. Now it's becoming evident. You see it on the news every night. You see wildfires. You see heat domes. Whoever thought of that? Now we're having governments that are having to institute, you know, cooling measures for people. Um, we, it, it is there. It's in front of us. We can see it. We, we can almost touch and feel it. And so it isn't this abstract idea. We now ought to have the opportunity now because it's becoming obvious that we can rally together and work together to come up with some solutions. I think my favorite quote in the piece is anything we were talking about it earlier. Uh, I quoted new work with uh, palm trees was uh, the way it was just Florida has been described with its recent growth, um, which I think is an apt description <laughs> um, with the research into solutions. Um, with Florida kind of becoming this metropolitan state with three mega cities that people are moving to every day and it's booming. Do, did the solutions that you looked into really, do they go in hand with a Florida that's booming this big? You know, is Florida's environment meant to take this much stress from people moving here? Well, we don't know, do we? I mean, we really have no idea. We're, right now, the count is, uh, it varies, but right around 1,000 people a day, new people in Florida. Um, that is an enormous stress. And really, none, most of this happened after World War II. So this is rapid and within the last century. We really don't know where this is taking us to. But on the bright side, Florida has preserved more land than any other state in the United States. 25% uh, uh, of lands have been put into preservation, which is fabulous. A lot of people think if we can get to at least a third of our um, natural lands being preserved, we may be able to hold off any kind of huge, you know, catastrophe as far as water 
um, availability. I kind of liked how you mentioned earlier when you first started getting into environmental reporting, you talked about your time with the Sentinel and how you did a giant road trip and saw kind of bits and pieces of what Florida used to be like and what Florida was becoming. If you did that same road trip today, would your views change in any way if you today were writing that story and we're driving down the coast for this one story that you thought you were doing that wasn't about the environment, but then inspired you to start writing about the environment. Do you think you would find that same inspiration today? I think I'd be in a larger panic because so much of it has disappeared in the interim since I did that writing. But I will tell you that there are still places that you can go and feel the old Florida. And those are places that have been preserved as state parks or private preserves or uh, national forests. You know, when I am really feeling blue and getting depressed about issues, I turn off the television and I go kayaking or I go hiking because there are still beautiful areas to go to. And that kind of restores my soul and my energy levels to to get back into it. And I teach this to my students as well. We need to get out sometimes and just remember what, what we're fighting for. Um, what, what we're working toward is, is saving these areas and appreciating them. I mean, even just a butterfly in the front yard is pretty awesome to me. Thank you again to Leslie for welcoming us into her home. Keep an eye out for her latest book, Tracing Florida Journeys, Explorers, Travelers, and Landscapes Then and Now. It will be published by the University Press of Florida and released in spring 2024. Forum Beyond the Pages is produced by Florida Humanities. Our music was created by Tampa Bay Area musician JJ Padishall. You can follow him on Instagram at JJ Padishall Music. Want to get the latest issue of Forum delivered to your door three times a year? Become a Florida Humanities member by visiting floridahumanities.org forward slash membership. Until next time. Bye.